This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Dan Ratner. Dan is the founder and CEO of Uberbrand, a renowned brand advisory firm specialising in brand strategy and development. In today's episode, Dan shares his inspiration behind starting Uberbrand. Dan takes us through a journey of a client he has worked with and how he helped them achieve great results. You'll learn what brand strategy is, understand the importance of building the business's brand equity, and identify the key factors businesses should consider when developing their strategy. Dan also shares the message behind Uber Brand's guiding principle. Your brand is not what you say it is, it's what people think it is. Let's jump in. Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the bottom line today. For those that don't know you, can you please tell us a little about you? Thanks, Seb. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been running a branding agency since about 2011. I have a communications background, a bit of a design background, a bit of market research background. And I found when I started my company in 2011 that I was doing quite a lot of uh, what I call brand advice or bringing brand advisory to organizations and using that advice to then inform brand identity systems, like what they look like, what they say, what they do. I'm not a designer. I'm much more of a strategist. So I work closely with founders and business owners and business leaders to really get inside their heads, help them sort of get an idea around where they're going, and then hopefully simplify their conversations into what I would call a proposition or a brand proposition and use that as my brief to then bring my creative people in to bring stuff to life. Awesome. Go back a little bit further than that. Before you started your own business, where did you work? What did you study? So back in the early days, I actually studied industrial design at university and I wasn't very good at industrial design. I wasn't very good at making things. At that stage, there was a lot of technology. So you work in the workshop downstairs at the bottom of the university and you're making stuff out of wood and I'm bloody hopeless at that. <laughs> Same. Actually. So um, I, I didn't do very well and I transferred into a course called communications, which taught me more around some of the principles of communications. So they're like almost journalistic principles and communications principles, PR principles. That was very interesting. And um, as part of that, I learned a bit of multimedia. So I trained myself up on some basic multimedia and very early HTML stuff. And I got myself involved in very early digital, I wouldn't even know what you would call it, websites and all that sort of thing. I found myself doing interface design. And I always found what I found really interesting about that was the human relationship between how things communicate, which is the reason why I did industrial design in the first instance. But it came to life through what we would probably call today customer experience. But back then, it was more like, how does a door tell you that it opens in or out without the word push on it? So it's just things like that that sort of got me interested in this world of communications. And then as time progresses, information becomes a little bit more accessible. The internet blows up a little bit more. I got myself involved in a company called News Limited, which were building a website or that was going to compete with eBay at the time. I got myself involved in bringing that to market. I learned a lot about how to bring brands into market, how to define a brand, how to create communications with that brand, how to think about your customer and put the customer at the center of that experience and then build up customer experiences around that. And then fast forward 
another decade or so, and I've been doing it now for, well, been doing it for 25 odd years. And where did the inspiration for starting Uber brand come to about? So it wasn't much of an inspiration. It was more, there's a certain point in your life, Sev, and I'm sure our audience here knows that point in their life that they actually need to make a decision about where they're going to be going. And for gentlemen and women at a certain age, that's usually before they turn 40. And so at that point in life, they wonder, what are they going to be when they're 40? And so just before I was almost about to turn 40, I thought to myself, in my mind, when I was a kid, I always thought I'd own my own agency for good or bad. I think that was year 10, by the way. I was very early. No, I I was was very passionate about numbers. But go on. I was the same. I had in my head when I was a kid that I was going to own my own firm, my own agency. I don't know what that meant when I was near 10, but I was dead sure it was going to happen. And lo and behold, at about 37, I went, oh, shit, I have to do this. So um, by the time you're 40, you don't think you've done anything. It's not enough. So I started the agency at about 37, and now I'm, uh, I'm touching something else. So now that 12 years later, and here I am. That was probably the big driving force was, Dan, you got to go do something on your own. The other thing is this. I found as I worked for other people my whole life, I wasn't a very good employee. And I'm sure as a business owner yourself, you know what I mean. And other business owners that are listening to us, not the best employee. But that doesn't mean that we can't work with other people. It's just that we're probably headstrong with the way that we do things. Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about starting your own business. If you're not a good employee, maybe starting your own business might be the way to go. But let's talk about brand strategy. It is a broad term that covers so many aspects of companies and so on. How would you define brand strategy in a summary? Okay, strategy. Strategy is a very all-encompassing term. What I might do is I might just talk about some simple brand principles, which will then let people understand what we talk about when we talk about strategy. Brands are made up of people's experiences that they have with you over time. So in their heads, they formulate an idea around who and what you are and what that means. And a beautiful example of this for those that love coffee, and I love coffee. I'm sure being your background as well, Seb, you love coffee. Yep. Yep. So you always go to the same coffee shop downstairs in the building and you enjoy that coffee and every now and again, coffee's not so good, but you rub, you shrug your shoulders and go, that's all right. Maybe you was just having a bad day. Happens to be the day that you and I have a coffee downstairs together. First time I've been in your building, first time I've driven, having that coffee, you go, ah, that's a coffee that's okay. I go, oh my God, that coffee's terrible. I never go there again. You shrug your shoulders. So what's actually happened is, is that the bank of experiences that have formed in your mind around that coffee shop has created what I would call positive brand equity. And that positive brand equity can be lent up against when things go wrong. But when you have no positive brand equity and things go wrong, brands break. So the brand that proves that a brand is simply a perception that's held in somebody's mind. So it's not what we say it is, it's what they think it is. Now, to build that perception requires you as the brand owner to go about building positive experiences and positive impressions that reinforce what's good about you and why they should choose you over and over again so that you can formulate that. So brand strategy, in effect, is actually the relationship between what people think of you right now and what you want them to think of you in the future. So if people think of you right now as a confused mess, and I think we talked about a restaurant that might have had a couple of different uh, chefs over the period of time, it's creating a bit of confusion in the market, that confusion is actually happening in their customers' minds. So the gap between what they think of them today, which is confusion, and what they want to think of them in the future is actually the strategic gap that brand strategy resolves. So that's not necessarily about brand identities and logos. It's much more around having a very clear image of what you want people to think and then working towards delivering that image through everything you do, what you look like, what you say, and what you do. 
it's not about the logo. It's not about the color of the background of their office or any of that. I guess a lot of that has a little bit to do with it. But the way you articulated the strategy was it's about their experiences with the brand. So tell us what factors should businesses consider when developing these things? There's just so many that you went through. Is there an order that you go through? Is there a methodology to creating the strategy? If you're moving people's perceptions from where they are today to where you want them to be in the future, the first thing you need to understand is, number one, what do they think of you today? In simple terms, that means you go ask them. You go investigate that. You understand what it is. What I'm actually describing is building a value proposition. So when you build a value proposition, you have to think about who are you for, what are they choosing to do, and why should they choose you? So when you break those three things down, it's, well, who are they, what do they think of you, and what else do they choose, which is your competitive landscape. Yeah. So what I'm really talking about is your customer, how your customer behaves, what they choose, and then why they would choose you, why are you better. So you need to work those things out. And then you're sort of starting to get hints at then what should you do. So what should you do is going to come to life through what I say, look, say, and do. So what are you going to look like? So what's the image you're going to portray in the market? And it's not image, it's imagery like photos, sure, but it's image like the image that you're going to portray. What car are you going to drive? Like if you're a plumber and you turn up in the latest AMG, it's not going to look so good to your customer, right? No. It's around the image that you want to portray and the decisions that you make in your business to reinforce who and what you are. So that's the image part of it. So that's what you look like. Then what you say, are there the things you're going to actually say to people? What are the words on your website? What's on your card? Are you funny? Are you serious? How do you express yourself? And then what do you do? What sort of person are you? What are your values and how do they get represented into the look and the feel and the overall experience of the organization? And then how do you imbue that into all the people that might be working for you? So that not just the people answering the phone or you answering the phone, but what happens on the shop floor? What happens inside the call center? What happens at a product level? Like what happens if you said, we're going to make the sexiest chocolate ever, and then you get down to it and the thing doesn't taste very good. But you've said it looks good, it's going to taste good, and then you promise your customer it's going to taste great and it tastes crap. See what I mean? So it's like what you look like, what you say, and what you do have to align back to some of those initial images that you create, the strategy that you create. That is amazing. Do you need to get this right at startup? I mean, I guess you can do it anytime, but how much easier is it at a startup infancy stage of a business when you're sort of starting out? I think there's, look, there's benefits with both, right? There's benefits on both sides. There's benefits like if you're starting out, you've made no impression. So the consequence of that is you can make an impression. I was having a conversation this morning with a client of mine, and we were talking about new businesses coming into market and how what I call they're eating the whale. So they come in and they eat the whale, which is they're taking market share away from an incumbent. They just eat the whale. So you can do that when you're fresh because you're creating a fresh conversation and you're making promises to people, especially in services where you create that, right? So you cut that away. That's the benefit of going at, like, of not having any incumbency. But there's also benefits of incumbency as well, like strength and scale, reputation, proof, evidence, all those sorts of things. So it's both. Both have got advantages. You just have to navigate your way through that. Yeah. And so can you give us an example of a company you've worked with and you're like, wow, they've been around for a while, they've come to you and they've gone through your journey. And tell us about Uber brand and the work you do with companies and a story where you've taken it from A to B and they've gotten great results. We've done some really, really big jobs and we've done lots of small jobs. I think I'll give you an example of a smaller job because that's probably more uh, relatable for our audience. 
a couple of boys came to me maybe seven years ago, starting up a fintech financial services business. They thought they were onto something. They had 20 boys in a room and a dog. That's what they had. <laughs> they could see there was a lot of demand for the product that they were offering the market. It was financial products for small businesses. It was lending. One of the things that we were they needed to get right on set was as they scaled this business, how were they going to ensure that when they got more and more people in their call centers and more and more representation, that their product and service was going to stay consistent in the marketplace? So again, we sat down, we looked at the market, we understood what was happening in the market, we created a, a place for them, which was a competitive positioning for why they would be successful or why they could be successful. Then we created what I call a brand model, which is really the claim that they make. So these are like the proof points and the truth points of their brand. Like why can they make the claim that they can be better? Right. So I look at things like, what have you got that proves that you're going to be a, a success? What does that mean from a functional perspective? So when you think about a value proposition, it's built on reasons to believe. So what are your reasons to believe? What are they useful for? How does that make our customer feel? Who are you that makes me feel that way? What are your belief systems? And then what's the single most important part of it or the essence of that brand? So at one point, you're looking at what is the business strategy? The next point is, how does the business strategy be enabled by the brand? So we looked, we did that piece. And then from that piece, we actually had a brief. And that brief informed what we said and how we took it to market. And so we helped them raise a little bit of money. And now they've got um, thousands of staff and they're uh, a very, very large SME lender. Wow. That's a great story. It's so important to get it right because when you're scaling something, it can get lost very, very quickly. And it's hard to get to to everyone in the office or everyone in all different places of the world that you may have hired the thousand staff members. So it is, it's really interesting. And was the execution smooth? Like I always find strategy is one part and then executing, right? So does Uber brand and yourself help companies execute the strategy? We have. These days, I tend to really focus in on what I'm calling our company's excellence. So our company's excellence is very much around what I'm calling brand advisory and brand definition. So the advisory piece is around really getting inside people's heads to understand what is it that you're trying to achieve, translating those into those um, attribute pyramids and value props, and then using that as a creative brief to then inform the visualization, sort of the templates, the masters, if you like. We then would like to um, work with advertising agencies and communications agencies to then scale that through an organization. We have done it in the past, but I find these days that excellence is it's very rare and I don't like to necessarily get distracted by the big advertising activities that may happen down the line. I can't believe I'm saying that, but sometimes you just got to focus on what it is that you're really good at and let the others do the things that uh, they're good at too. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question. One of the things that I see a lot of businesses do is they're getting more and more involved in digital marketing, whether it's paid ads or SEO strategies that they either pay for or implement themselves. From what you're telling me, it's so important to get the brand right before you go to market with trying to promote yourself. So my question is, how important is to get that right before you spend money on go fishing for new business? And do you get better results if you get that right, the branding piece, before you go to SEO world and paid advertising? I would argue that without a doubt, that's correct. So you absolutely need to know who you are, what you do, what makes you different and why people should choose you. And those basic tenets of any marketing plan have to be resolved before you start spending money. The classic statement is 50% of advertising works. You just don't know what 50%. So if you're throwing a whole lot of stuff into the air, maybe something will land. Maybe it won't. So you need to know who's it for, what are they doing, and why are you better? 
And you have to install that into your communications. The reality of SEO and the reality of all of these sorts of things is they're very good levelers. They level outreach. It means anyone can reach the same people. But at the end of the day, it's like, what are you going to reach them with? What are you going to say to them once you've got their attention? So that's fundamental to me, like even more so today in a high inflation environment. There's so many ways of getting people's attention and it's not easy to get their attention. So if you get get it and you don't know how to talk to them and why and, and that the brand's not strong in terms of having that strategy piece done, you're then you're going to lose those opportunities because getting attention is really difficult at the moment. So uh, I can see such an importance of understanding what you're trying to do as a business and getting that right to your audience. So I'll add to that. There's a little story which is worth telling here around what I call category versus consideration. So you can be doing your job in advertising, in spending the money on SEO, and you could be reaching all these customers and you could be telling them about whatever it is that you do, but you may not be building consideration towards yourself. You just might be building category. You sometimes hear marketers talk about funnels. So this comes down to when people are actually choosing stuff. So you might be in market at the top funnel talking about why you should get your ears tested. The big situation isn't why you should get your ears tested, it's that if you choose to get your ears tested, come choose one of my companies or one of my brands that I work on, not the other four that are in market. See what I mean? It's like there's a difference between saying get your ears tested and choose Audica or Specsavers to do it. It's such a powerful play. It's also very niche. So I'm thinking of sort of corporate businesses much larger than the ones that we work with. Is it a space that's so niche that people hire in their corporate executive team just brand specialists rather than a, a marketing person or or is branding still within the marketing realm of expertise? I think there are elements of it that sit in a marketing department, but there's lots of oversight or gaps in marketing departments that I find. And that often has to do with the fact that marketing departments are um, charged with acquisition, which means that they're responsible for driving leads into an organization. And so the consequence of that is that they will focus on their metric and their metric will be to drive leads, not necessarily to convert those leads. Where I find the opportunity is that inside that gap is, well, what is the proposition that you're going to market with? Who are you and why should companies do? Well, why should people choose you in the context of that? I'm happy with the marketing stacks that most of my clients use. I worry about what it is that we're saying and making sure that we're getting, putting down the pipe is actually going to get cut through. And SME businesses, it's not on the top of their agenda to have an in-house marketing person or a team. How do you get companies coming forward to you and go, I think I've got a branding problem or I want to hire you because I think my business needs a brand strategy. Who comes up with that idea? Is it just progressive leaders or is it just you reaching out to companies? How how do you see that world play out? It happens a lot when they think about their growth strategies or their retention strategies and need to think about the implications on their brand as they move through. So examples of those are especially during, say, I mean, I don't want to talk about like right now, we're in a high inflation space, right? That means people are putting their prices up. If you think about the classic, what they say, the four Ps, but if you think about pricing, right? Price is part of the mix in terms of a customer's consideration set when they go to buy a product or a service. So if you change that price, you fundamentally invalidate your value prop to your marketplace. So that means that you have to rethink who are you, what else is your customer doing and why should they choose you? Now your price is more expensive. And just because everyone else's is going up doesn't necessarily mean that's an opportunity or a disaster. It doesn't actually answer the question, which is how the positioning changes. So consequently, 
organizations are going through repositioning every day right now as we speak, no matter who and what they are, because their supply chains are breaking down because their pricing is increasing because it's having a direct implication on what they're saying to their customer. Even guys building houses. How many people have you spoken to who have to have the difficult conversation with their builder around not being able to complete because what they agreed in their fixed price contract isn't working? Can you imagine what they look like, what they say and what they do and the customer brand equity conversations that those people are having right now? God, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. And if you haven't built that brand equity, it can be difficult. How hard is it to build brand equity when sometimes the transaction is just a one-off? I'll use an airline as an example. It is one-off. It may not be one-off, but generally you don't fly thousands of times unless you're a businessman or businesswoman that travels a lot. So you might get on a plane. It's I'm flying with Emirates in August. I've never flown with Emirates. I may never fly with Emirates again. But if it's a one-off transaction, do businesses drop the ball going, you know what, chances are I'm not going to get as much repeat business from Savan because he might only fly Emirates twice in his whole life. Do they take brand equity in that piece of building it not as seriously? Is that what I'm trying to say? So This is category versus consideration. Uh, when we talk about category, the airline category, the category itself has to represent a certain level of safety. It has to represent a certain level of luxury. It has to represent a certain level of experience to justify price. You then look at all the little small differentiating factors around that which is how much more it costs to upgrade or what the experience of a uh, of an economy plus seat is like versus an economy seat. And so they look within that to try and drive attraction to satisfy and justify their prices because their prices are all fluctuating all the time and they're quite different. So absolutely, they take it very, very seriously and should do as well. So it's not just that the one-off experience they're having, it's that they've got to sell seats and they've got to sell those seats to thousands of people, and they're actually making a promise to you that you're going to have a better experience in your traveling to your destination than the next most expensive one. So choosing Emirates is not going to be a price decision for you. It's going to be an opportunistic decision for you. It's going to be the experience of the travel as well. Some airlines these days will actually talk about how your holiday begins on the plane. That changes again the customer experience model that they're playing out. So airlines are a great example. Uh, just thinking about the airlines, it's really interesting. You can actually see very distinct strategies as well. You've got obviously the not so much cheaper airlines but the more budget airlines where the brand is so clear that you've bought a budget ticket, you don't get food. Yes, you get the polite smiles and the hostesses are polite but it is you're going there in and out it's funny, whenever you book a budget ticket, even the gate that you're on, you generally have to walk further because they're probably those gates are cheaper than the ones that are closer, I'm assuming. Everything's a trade-off. And it's probably okay because you've chosen to buy on price. So then they've then matched that brand to say, well, we're going to deliver you a really good service. It's going to be cheap and we're going to focus on maybe safety and it's okay if you're going to walk, but we're going to get you there as cheap as possible and comfortable, but it's okay if it doesn't have the big screen and you can watch all the fancy movies, you'll be okay with that. But if the company made it out that, that it was going to be fancy, it was going to be great and it was going to be, you know, this all of these leg room and all that and it was still cheap, you'd probably be pretty annoyed because you'd be like, hold on, I don't care that I paid cheap. You promised me all this fancy stuff. So I can yeah, yeah. see where the conversations with your even perspectives around the brand and how you deliver that is so important to get right. The value offer is put into question, right? So what you get for what you pay. 
let's just say you got a really good price, but you got it on a top level airline and you got upgraded to first class, right? Yeah. You're going to have so much more positive equity around that experience. You're going to walk out of there going, that was bloody amazing. As compared to, I was in cattle class on Ryanair. I was lucky I got a glass of water and we sat on the tarmac for four hours, but I got there in the end. See what I mean? Like they're the trade-offs and that's a value trade-off. And so that's the thing about pricing, which is what I get for what I pay. And that when prices go up, consumers start to think about what am I getting for what I pay and what is the difference between that? That's really powerful. So let's talk a little bit about Uber brand. You've been in the market for a little while. So, and look, branding, marketing, your world is a bit saturated. There's lots of players in the market. What sets Uber brand? Um, why should customers choose Uber brand for their brand strategy rather than other companies? I actually don't think we're operating a particularly crowded market in the space that we work in. Like there isn't that many um, organizations who are, or branding agencies are probably discussing it or talking about it or thinking about it in the way that we've just had this conversation. They might be thinking more in a tactical sense. So if I go back to my positioning or our positioning around brand advisory versus brand definition, we work in this brand advisory space, which is further up what I call the value chain, as in we want to work with founders and business leaders and CEOs and managing directors and people with vision, because they're the ones that are finding it difficult to express that vision throughout the organization. So the higher up we go, the greater impact and the greater chance of success that we can have in an organization. Many agencies start further down. They just come or they just turn up because there's a logo needing to be done. We're not asking about doing logos. We're not playing out in the logo space. Yes, we do logos, but we're not building the logo for the sake of it. We're building or to redeveloping that logo or redesigning that image because of a bunch of other strategic decisions that the organization needs to make. And I just don't think there's that many people out there with the process that's been applied as well as ours has been applied and to the amount of companies that have been applied to, not in this country anyway. You would get such great results because you you take him through a journey and it's not, here's a logo and pay for that logo and the business card or whatever it is. It's that strategy. It's about the growth. It's about what does the business stand for and what are the goals of the business and how you're going to get there. And so many things to that. It reminds me of a story I'll, I'll never forget. I was about 10 years ago and we, I reached out. I thought, well, I thought I was reaching out to a graphic designer and I said, oh, look, I need you to build me, you know, those things that people put up. The long, yeah. It's that long thing that you might have when you go to a presentation or a conference, the pull up yeah. stuff. Right. And I said, oh, so I'm hosting a conference when I want people to come in. I want to have my logo on this thing and I want them to see like sort of services we do and, and maybe our website at the bottom. And I thought it was going to be a very easy conversation. He said, oh, who's going to be at the conference? I'm like, oh, you know, they're just going to be clients and perspectives. Well, what do you want them to see when they see that? What colors do you want? And, and he kept asking all these, I'm like, man, just, can you just build me, just put out logo, put out. And he kept asking so many questions. And in the end he said, I can't work with you because I can do that. And it'll look fine, but you're just wasting your money because they're just going to go, it's no different to a sign that says exit sign. It's an exit sign. They're just going to see the sign and walk past it. But if you want it to have impact, you've got to understand why you're doing it. Who's going to be there? What yeah. do you want to say to them? And I'm like, oh, you're just too hard to work with. Maybe 10 years ago, I wasn't as intelligent around why it's important for these things. But I remember vividly, and he said, look, let me have coffee with you and I'll explain why getting the brand right is important. So it's interesting. So that was a fun story. And um, 
I think we still ended up just getting our logo and just our services and a website. I don't know if you ended up doing it or whether we use someone else, but um, it's those questions need to be asked because I think there must be so many, so much money and resources that is spent on branding and print and websites that probably don't have as much impact that if done well, it should have impact. Oh, absolutely. It all has to have impact. Everything you, what I said is like, what you look like, what you say and what you do reinforces who and what you are and is an opportunity for you to create a positive impression on somebody that builds brand. If one of those isn't delivering in a consistent and positive manner, then you're making shit coffee. That's right. My last question is about the slogan. You've mentioned it a few times in the episode today. Your brand is not what you say it is. It's what people think it is. I think that's amazing. I wrote a book a long time ago. It's a children's book on branding. I wrote it for my kids. And the book at the time was, um, it's called Be the Frog. And the idea of it was to demonstrate this point. And the point is, what's the first to mind image you have in your head when I say frog? What do you get in your head? What color do you see? What do you see? Green. I'd say green. Green, right? So everyone I speak to says, unless they're trying to be recalcitrant, they all say it's a green tree frog. So everyone in their head says the first to mind image they have when they hear the word frog is a green tree frog. But there are thousands of frog species in the world and most of them are brown. In fact, the Queensland cane toad is a frog, but we all immediately think that a frog is green. That demonstrates that the brand itself, or that the green tree frog owns the category for frogs, and that the brand is not what you say it is. It's not the truth. It's what people think it is. So if they think frogs are green, but frogs are brown, I can't change their opinion. And most people say they're green. So that's why it's so important, because ultimately you want to be the green tree frog of your category. You want people to go, I understand it so simply and you're the first to mind image and you're that shortcut for me. And that's why it's fundamental. And so the way to get to those is through what you look like, what you say, what you do, reinforcing and consistently delivering that message through everything you do every time. And that's in summary what we're all about. And then I said before, the brand gap is the gap between what people think today and what you want them to think in the future. So if they're not thinking you're a green tree frog and you want them to think you're a green tree frog, you have to work the gap which means you may have to make a few changes to what it is that you're doing to be able to deliver all of that. Wow. I just Googled it. For those that want to buy the book, it's on Amazon. Be the Frog, Dan Ratner. And I want to say, Dan, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our listeners. I reckon we could go on hours. There's so many questions I I can't ask because we've run out of time. But we might need to get you back and go deeper into some of these areas. But I wish you all the very best for Uber Brand and for your business. A big thank you for joining us on The Bottom Line. Thanks, Sam. It's really great to talk to you, mate. Thank you. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna. And we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.